0: Proverbs 13, 12 says, A hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. What a contrast. Uh, have you ever felt the disappointment of hope deferred? Something you hoped for that you didn't get? Felt the anguish of unrealized hope, of disappointment, of nothing changing? The anxiety of a bleak future rather than a bright one? It's not hard when that happens to become skeptical or cynical or pessimistic for many of us is because of our personal struggles that we've gone through. Maybe a phase in life, things that have come into play for us uh, that have just been a struggle, things that maybe we wish um, we weren't dealing with or we thought would have been dealt with already. Something that we thought we would have come out on the other side of already. Perhaps a challenge for our hope is world events. You turn on the news or, or you read through your news feed uh, and you hear about all the things that are happening in the world, all the things that many of us have experienced and been through, or things that are happening in different parts of the world. And it is, again, easy to feel a little heartsick, to fear the, feel the worry or the fear, the anxiety, or the depression of unrealized hope. Today I want to talk about that kind of hope, uh, not a naive optimism or wishful thinking, or something that's flimsy built on things that we can't happen, just a kind of more upbeat attitude, but something that is more like a tree of life, that is deeply rooted, that provides good fruit that is beautiful, is life-giving. When I was a kid, um, I remember thinking at Christmas time that there were certain gifts that were life-changing. That if I got what I wanted, it would just, it would be, it would, everything would be different. And so one year, I remember my brother and I, we got what we asked for. We asked for uh, the newest video game console, which I will not mention because I don't really want to date myself. But we had asked for it. We wanted it so bad. I remember thinking, man, if we get this video game system, if we have this, then life will never be the same. It's going to be different around here. Hours of entertainment. All of our friends are going to want to come over and play. Everything is going to be good. And then on Christmas morning, we woke up, we saw the box, we opened it, and we got it. And do you know what I learned? I was right. It changed my entire life. It was everything I had ever thought it would be. I could just sit here and play game after game. And the games that I had were wonderful, but there was always more games that I could get. And the excitement was so great. And the friends did come over and they wanted to play. And and that was something that we could do. And oh, it was glorious and wonderful. I remember as a kid when there were certain gifts that were just absolutely life changing. But, and this is cliche, something we say at Christmas time all the time, there comes a point in life when you get a little bit older and maybe a little bit more mature, when you realize that the things that really make a difference in your life, a lasting difference, a true difference, the tree of life cannot be put under a Christmas tree. It can't be wrapped up in a box and put a bow on it. It's kind of like uh, the Grinch learned after he tried to steal Christmas when the Who's found out. By the way, a very hope-filled people, the Who's. You know the story, right? I mean, think of it from the Who's perspective, There's a mysterious thief out there who is who has broken into everybody's house, stolen our gifts, stolen our meals, stolen everything about Christmas, but also stealing our sense of safety and security. They must have been so on edge, and yet they wake up on Christmas morning. Nothing has changed. They didn't get their stuff back. And they come out singing and holding hands and wonderful, and we find out that Christmas came without ribbons, it came without tags, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. Maybe Christmas, he thought, the Grinch, doesn't 't come from a store. Maybe Christmas perhaps means a little bit more. In this series, today we're starting Advent, and we're going to go through the themes of Advent: uh, hope, uh, love, joy, and peace. And we're going to be talking about sort of the grown-up Christmas lists. All I want for Christmas, what I really want for Christmas, what will really change my life. And probably most of us have come to a point where we realize it's not a video game system. Not everybody, because I know some of you, that's, you know, your thing. It's fine. But maybe we're starting to realize that there are some of these things that are life-changing that don't fit in a box or can't be bought as a gift. Although I was thinking about this, and I thought, maybe there's limits on it. So if anybody wants to buy me a car, and we'll test out the theory, (laughs) we'll figure it out. Maybe that would change my life. But today I want to talk about hope. In Romans chapter 5, and if you have a Bible, and you want to turn with me there. Chapter 5 verse 3 of Romans, it says this. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that a remarkable short little section of scripture? We started with suffering. We started with pain. We started with our hurts and we moved our way to a hope that doesn't put us to shame, or in other translations, hope that does not disappoint us. A hope that is strong, a hope that is firm, a hope that is like the tree of life, giving good and beautiful, wonderful things to us, everything that we need. It is combating the hope that has been deferred, that makes our hearts sick. And so today, if you perhaps need some hope, if you're feeling disappointment, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling bleak about the future, anxious, worry, fearful, then perhaps as we walk through this passage of Scripture that we've just read together, we will learn the steps to move from our pain... hope and to a strong hope, a hope that does not put us to shame, a hope that doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit, which is the empowering presence of God in our lives. So here we go. I want to break this down step by step and talk about the steps to living with hope. And number one, we start with radical acceptance. It says that we rejoice in our sufferings. I love talking about hope because hope is not naive optimism that will certainly let you down, or wishful thinking. It actually starts, hope does, having hope, starts with being very realistic about our lives, about our world. We start with suffering. We start with pain. Hope doesn't come and say, oh, uh, th- there's, really, there's really nothing wrong. Don't worry about it. Oh, you'll be, you'll be fine. Oh, just kind of get through this. No, no, no. Hope starts with suffering. In fact, so much so that Paul, who wrote this letter, He said to us that we rejoice in our suffering, which obviously does not come naturally to us. Who wants to rejoice in their suffering? And yet there's something powerful here. Hope is realistic. Hope says we are not where we want to be. We are not living in the space that we think we ought to be. There are things wrong with this world. There are things wrong in our lives. And I think all of us can identify with that. All of us can have those moments to say, yes, there is something wrong. Yes, there is something that I aspire to or I hope to. We need something to be different. This is a beautiful picture of the story of Jesus, isn't it? At Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, that God sent his son into this world. What a powerful and beautiful and wonderful thing. But of course we know Jesus didn't come into the world and said, oh, it's really nice here. Everything is just perfect. He stepped into a world of conflict. He stepped into a world of power struggle. He stepped into a world of of violent politics. He stepped into a world of corrupt religion. He stepped into a world where most of the people around him would be skeptical, reject him. Eventually, they would arrest him, beat him, and crucify him. Isaiah the prophet talked about the Messiah and said that he is a man of sorrows and he is acquainted with grief. He is not one who comes and smooths over the problems of life and says, don't worry about it, just be optimistic. He's one that steps right into where we live. What we experience, our pain and our suffering means that there is something for us in our suffering and in our pains. If hope is just wishful thinking... We might approach life thinking things like, I hope nothing bad happens. I hope nothing bad happens today. I hope nothing bad happens this week. I hope that today is smooth sailing. I hope I never get sick. I hope I get a high paying job. I hope my family is always harmonious. I hope my kids always make really good life decisions. And let's be honest, it's just not realistic. It's not how life goes, and there's nothing wrong with having that kind of optimism or wishful thinking, but we know that that is not the strength of what we live on, because sometimes the things that we wish for, we don't get. Real hope starts with something more realistic. It is realism. We live in a world where there is pain and suffering. Step one is this. We accept that life is hard. We accept it. Life is hard sometimes. There are phases in our lives, there are times, there are, are, are these moments in our lives, sometimes it lasts much longer than we, we like to, we wish that they would, but where we just, we hurt, we're in pain, where we struggle. We start, if we're gonna have hope, not by ignoring those things or sweeping them under the rug, but by acknowledging them, by being realistic about them. I think, and maybe this is human nature. It is, at least for many of us and certain kinds of uh, personalities, is when somebody's going through something difficult, we just want to solve the problem. Just let me give you the advice. Let me tell you how to get out of this. Uh, let me, you know, in church context or religious context, sometimes it's, let me just give you the verse or just say a little prayer and let's kind of get through this and let's move on. I think in the church in general, in these communities, we need to do some work of, of learning, maybe relearning what it is to grieve and mourn. If we are going to move past our pain, we need to first live in it, acknowledge it. And to deal with it. This is important. Later in this, uh, this letter that Paul writes to the Romans, chapter 15, he will say that you need to rejoice with those who rejoice and you need to mourn with those who mourn. I think as a community, we, lead, we need to learn again what it means to sit with people and to mourn when they're mourning, to grieve when they're grieving. Not to rush it away and say, oh, we can fix this. Oh, it's all better. Oh, just, yeah, it's going to be okay. But instead, sometimes there's nothing we can do except sit and we grieve together. We mourn together. We cry with one another. We enter into other people's pain. We empathize with them. And that is very much what is needed. I think we need to do more work, as actually we see has happened very much in our culture. I think we need to make sure it continues to happen in the church. We need to destigmatize what it means to work through our pain. We need to get back to a place. Whereas a, a, a group of people who hopefully, in our faith, we want to be holistic people and healthy people, we remove the stigmas of getting help when we're struggling. Where we don't say to people, "We'll just push through it. We'll just, you know, look on the bright side. We'll just have a little bit of faith. Well, we start by acknowledging our pain and to dealing with it. We need to destigmatize things like going to therapy, like getting into a good counselor and to talking about the things that are going on in your heart and your life. Your trauma, your struggle, your past, the things that you're carrying around emotionally into your future. We need to start with our suffering and pain, not to sweep it under the rug, but to be there in it. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to move forward. I'll tell you this. One of the healthiest things I've ever done is got a good counselor. And I have spent time in counseling, talking about hard things and embarrassing things. I have shed tears in there. And I'm stronger and I'm healthier for it. And one of the things that we need to bring back is to say, we don't just come and, oh, let's just sing some worship songs and let's read the right verse and say the right prayer and then move on. But first we start in our sufferings and in our pain. We'll never be able to move on if we don't deal with it properly. We need to learn to mourn with those who mourn, not to rush them through that process. Sometimes it means sitting with a a good friend and as they cry, you cry with them. Sometimes it just means listening without giving advice. Sometimes it means the hug the meal delivered, opening up the space for us to be in pain and to be in suffering. Jesus knew what it was to be in pain and suffering. And by the way, he learned to live in it very well. He learned that life is hard. Children, children don't know that yet. If you're going to be a mature adult, one of the things that we need to learn. And, and you know, as, as you grow, uh, as you get older, There's only so much time where you can fend this off before you just realize life is hard sometimes. Life is going to be hard. But when we acknowledge that, we can realize that's not the end of life. That's not it. That's not the only thing. It's not the thing that has to define us, but it is true of life. And it doesn't mean that life has gone completely wrong and can't go on track, but we start by just acknowledging that life is hard. That's step number one. Don't go too fast through it, especially if you're in a time of of real struggle and figuring things out. Let's be there for each other and mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve. Secondly, we read that our sufferings produce endurance. Now, I will say as we go through this ladder of suffering to hope through uh, endurance and character, that uh, hope is the product, but it's not automatic, okay? So we talk about our suffering produce endurance, but it doesn't automatically produce endurance. Just because you're hurting or you're in pain doesn't mean that you actually are going to build the strength to keep going. It means that you can and that we need to figure out how to do that. So we don't pretend that we're okay, that will disappoint you. We don't pretend that there's no problems, that will let you down. We're trying to build a hope that is stronger than that. It's about being smart about how you get stronger. So I've used this analogy before, but think of it a little bit like if you were going to set out to run a marathon, but you would never run a marathon. In fact, you weren't used to running at all. Well, you could get up one day and say, I want to have endurance. I want to be able to run the entire race. And that's great wishful thinking. But if you have not been a runner, and maybe you're not in great shape, when you step out your door and start to run, it's not going to take you long to realize that you don't have any endurance. You can't just run a marathon. You need to build the endurance. And just like we talked about in suffering, if you're going to be a runner, you're going to realize there's some pain there. You're going to start running, and then the next day or the day after that, your muscles are going to really hurt because they're not used to that. They're not used to that kind of strain. And it's going to be painful and you're going to have to decide, am I going to keep going? Tomorrow will I go for another run the next day? And then you're going to have to start strategizing. If I'm going to stay on this path and I'm going to build up an endurance, if I can only run a half a kilometer today and I want to run an entire marathon a year from now, what do I need to do in order to build the endurance? Well, you start with that pain. Okay, I'm not where I want to be. My body's not ready for that. And then you start training. And along the way, you're going to realize that there's probably a number of things, strategies that you need to put in place in order to help build your endurance. So that your muscles get stronger, so that the pain that is your muscles getting stronger, because it hurts to get stronger, will yield endurance. So you'll probably learn things like you have to pace yourself. You're going to run a long distance. You can't just sprint out the door and expect to go that far. It's not going to last, and so you learn how to pace yourself. You might learn that you need to wear certain things, have certain shoes, certain clothes are are better for the weather, uh, reflective at night, all that kind of stuff, so you got to get some gear. You'll probably learn that eating things and not eating certain things will help you in your energy levels in order to run a race, and so you'll think about your diet, you might think about your sleep, and what time you go to bed, and what time you get up, what time you, when, what days you rest, what days you work out, what days you run, and you're going to start to strategize, and those strategies are going to become what builds your endurance. In our spiritual lives, it's very much the same. We need to start building healthy habits. We start in our pain, but we use that pain. We add healthy habits to help build our endurance. It's a little bit like compound interest. Anybody ever show you one of those charts of compound interest? Where you start to invest money. So let's say you're like 20, 25 years old, and you go, oh, I'm just starting out and I don't have a lot of money, but I'm gonna try and save 100 bucks a month. I'm gonna put it in an investment. And so the first month you put 100 bucks in. And the next month you look at your account and there's like a hundred bucks in there hasn't really changed but you put another hundred dollars in there and another hundred dollars in there and then your financial advisor if you have one will say don't even look at your money because you just you just want to set it and forget it just keep putting money in there ignore it don't take money out and you keep putting money in and you can see these charts what happens is the first little while actually for quite a while it just looks like a hundred two hundred three hundred it kind of grows slowly and then you start to see little flecks of interest you've invested it hopefully in some good funds and there's a few cents that are coming onto my account, and there's a couple of bucks. And it doesn't seem super consequential, but 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 30 years down the road, what you find out is that in your account, you have way more money that is built up in interest than the actual money that you've put in. That is, it's not—it's not just a hundred plus a hundred plus a hundred. It becomes a hundred plus a hundred plus interest plus a hundred plus interest plus, and that interest gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then all of a sudden, when you're in your fifties or your sixties, if you've been doing this for twenty years or thirty years, all of a sudden it's making a massive difference. You're making more in interest than you are putting in, and you're a millionaire. By the way, that's really good financial advice. know what I'm talking about today, but if you want to have hope to retire and you're a student in the next couple of years, just find a way to start socking away a couple of bucks because compound interest is so, so powerful. It is in your spiritual life too. So what happens is you come to church and somebody says, "Oh, you should read your Bible." So you go home and you go, "That's probably a good idea." And so you open it up and you go, "I'm too tired for this because I stayed up watching Netflix all night last night. and I'm supposed to get up early in the morning and pray and read my Bible." So then I start to pray and I fell asleep and I woke myself up and then I read the Bible and I didn't really understand it and it got boring and then you give up. And here's the thing, it's like compounding interest. Some of these habits you say, "Well, that didn't change my life. I prayed today and I'm not that much more at peace. I didn't build any more hope. I read the Bible, I don't know, I didn't really get Well, here's the thing. You keep at it and you keep at it and you keep at it and you keep at it. And then over time you realize, oh, I'm starting to dig into this. I'm starting to understand more. Oh, my prayer life is, you know, weeks, months, years. And all of a sudden I'm starting to enjoy this more. And all of a sudden I am feeling different. All of a sudden I'm starting to change a little bit. The things I think about, my concentration rate, all these kind of things. And then, you know, one day you meet somebody and they've been doing this for 30 or 40 years. And it's just like they've been putting money into an investment, except they've been investing in their spiritual life. And you go, wow, this guy's really at peace. Wow, she is so, she, she's so filled with hope, even though things in her life aren't real easy. This person, man, she, I just look at her and she's, she's so filled with hope. I don't know how she does. And you ask her, he goes, man, I've been, I've been soaking myself in scripture since I was 15 years old, 20. I've been doing this for decades. And it's like compound interest. I've been reading my Bible. I've been building these habits. Step number two, healthy habits make healthy people. You can't just try to run a marathon. You have to train to run a marathon. Our spiritual lives are the same way. Hope is the same way. We need to stop trying to be hopeful. We need to start training to be hopeful. And how do you do that? You start to build healthy spiritual practices and you invest in them over and over and over. And when they don't feel great at the beginning, you push through that. When you quit because, oh, I forgot today. Oh, I was too tired today. Then you dust yourself off and you say, that's okay. Tomorrow I start again. And you immerse yourself in Scripture, in the words of Jesus. Read through the Gospels a chapter a day. Read through the Psalms a chapter a day. Some people read through an Old Testament chapter, a New Testament chapter, and a Psalm each and every day. And you go, man, it's hard at first. But listen, over 5 years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, this is going to compound like interest and change your life. Let me talk about some practices for the Christmas season, can I? These will change us. Because we are conditioned... Uh, to just go along with the practices that are most popular usually, uh, the ones that are very cultural for us. Christmas season for most of us is what? Super busy, kind of stressful. I got all this stuff I got to buy for. It's expensive. So what if we thought, for my hope, my endurance to get stronger... What are the habits, the strategies, spiritually speaking, that I need to invest in to help me endure in a world that is saying, uh, get busier, go faster, buy more stuff? Well, here's just a few. And there's a lot. I've talked about prayer and scripture. Uh, Those are some of the most foundational ones I would always recommend. Here's some that maybe in the month of December, you could really uh, focus in on that maybe aren't quite as popular. Many of us will celebrate. By the way, celebration is a really good spiritual discipline. To be grateful, to be thankful, to take some of what God has given us, to throw a party, to be with uh, family and friends, and hopefully even invite people in that maybe don't have their own celebration. That is powerful. But also in this time of hyper-celebration and always saying yes to everything that makes you feel good, eat more and drink more and buy more, here's a real powerful one, fasting. What if you picked one day a week, all the way from now until Christmas, where you fasted. You didn't eat anything during daylight hours, let's say. You woke up, I'm going to fast. And here's, here's why. You go, well, what's, what's I going to do? I'm just going to be hungry. Yes, you're going to be hungry. But what it's going to remind you of is that we live in a world that says the best possible life is the one where you get to say yes to every desire. Oh, you want this? Oh, this is going to make you feel good. Yes, I like that. This will make you feel good. Yes, you want more to eat? Yes, you want more to do? You want more entertainment? Yes, 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 yes. Fasting is us saying no Even if it's not the the thing that feels the best, to remind us that self-discipline is important. To remind us that the most important things in life aren't just pleasure, aren't just feeling good. In fact, that doesn't lead you to a really strong and powerful life. Not that there's, you know, bad, it's not bad to feel good. uh, But if we want to get stronger, if we want to build endurance, if we want to have hope, we need to learn. Life is hard and you don't always get what you want. A great way to learn that is to say no to yourself. I'm not going to eat lunch today. And I'm going to get hungry and I'm going to feel it. And I'm going to get hangry. And then I'm going to ask myself, why am I so upset with my coworkers and my family? Why am I lashing out at them? And you're going to learn something about yourself and your spirit and where you're at. And you're going to bring to that to God in prayer. And he's going to work on your heart and your mind and how you see things. It's a powerful uh, path against that idea that says, just say yes to everything. Seek pleasure in all things. How about this one? Generosity. Again, we're going to be inundated with buy more, buy more, buy more. Buy a lot of presents. For many of us, let's be honest, buying presents for people who don't need them. It's extra. We've just been through this weekend. I don't know how many of you uh, were shopping for Black Friday. Big deal. Lots of sales. Some of us tomorrow, Cyber Monday. More deals. Don't even have to go out. This is great. We can spend money from our couch. And then we'll come to Tuesday, which is Giving Tuesday. And perhaps you'll take the opportunity on Tuesday to find a charity that does really good things to help people who are in need. And you'll make a donation. And you'll just fight that little thing that is telling you that Christmas is all about More, 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 stuff, 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 consumerism, materialism. And the way that you fight that is through generosity. And what if you started to make generosity a pattern in your life that every time you made some money, this is something I'm trying to teach my five-year-old because money is something that grabs onto our heart and and, and just won't let go. So we're trying to teach our kids right from an early age. We, We get them to do jobs. We have little jars. We get them allowance. First one we do is give. Next one we do is save. Next one we do is spend. What if adults, we just learn that. Every time I get something, I'm giving it. I'm going to practice generosity. And the first time, you might just feel like you have a little bit less money than you did before you gave. But if it becomes a pattern, a healthy habit in your life, it's going to make you healthier with money. Your view of the world, your view of what you have, your view of how you can help other people. How about Sabbath? The calendar gets it so busy in December for so many of us. And I wonder this year, because we missed out so much last year, if this year a lot of, oh, I just want to do everything again and go to all the parties and see all the people and the work thing and the family thing and the this thing and then that thing and just load it up. Students, some of you in a week or so are going to start final exams and you're going to be so busy for a couple of weeks and you're going to feel so much pressure and the pressure is going to come from the fact that people are telling you that you are, this is subconscious, people, most people don't get told this straight out, some do, but that you are your marks, you are how well you do, and so there's no margin. You've got to study every moment of your life. You're going to get stressed out and burnt out, and you're going to limp into Christmas. What if this year we just said, we're all going to look at our calendars, and one day a week, no work. We're going to pray, and we're going to play. We're going to enjoy people around us. We're going to eat good food. We're gonna be thankful for all that God has given to us. That's very intimidating. I don't have time. You don't have time? You don't have time to be a person who God is blessed and God takes care of? Sabbath reminds us that God is working even when we're not working, that everything's gonna be okay, that we are not defined by our work or our marks or our money. And so we get to take a break and the world will still spin. And I would bet you that if you work hard six days and then give God the, the, the Sabbath day, that rest day, that God will provide all the time that you need to do what he's called you to do. Well, oh, it's powerful, it's hard. But I'll tell you this if you start to Sabbath one day a week, no shopping, uh, no. I don't mean to sound like legalistic and rules. I just mean to relieve yourself of the things that are stressful. So I'm I'm not going to go to the busy mall and stress myself out. I'm not going to do work. I'm not going to check my work email. I'm not going to study. I'm just going to take all the things that God has blessed me with. I'm going to pray and I'm going to play and enjoy time with my family or my kids or whoever. And just remember that you're not work. Something doesn't define you. It's important. You got six days to do that. But I bet if you make... Time for God. God's going to make time for the things that he's called you to. It's a powerful thing. So we do these things. We start to build these healthy rhythms. They make us healthy. And we start to realize that we have endurance. That now we have some of the building blocks to go through some of the struggles and some of the pains that life brings. We're stronger than all that kind of stuff because we rest and because we're generous. And because we're fed on scripture and because we connect with God in prayer. And because all these things start to make us healthier people that can run further and run faster. And that produces character. Now we're into formation. Character is about consistent commitment to Christ, not just doing things to help me get through tough times. Oh, I'm having a bad day. So how do I get through this bad day? But it's the endurance of day after day after day, relying on Christ, committing to Christ who strengthens us. And when our habits become consistent, consistency forms our character. The things that we do start to become who we are. God uses those spiritual practices, those strategies in our lives to help us to tune into him and to change our hearts, to change our lives. So we've accepted that life is hard. We've realized that healthy habits make healthy people, so we commit to them. And then the consistency forms our character over time again. It's like that insurance, insurance, it's like the interest that builds up and builds up and builds up. And now all of a sudden we go, now, yeah, it's taken a while, but I am becoming a different person. That's why habits are so important. In fact, neuroscientists have noted this. This is, you know, the habits get wired in our brains. John Mark Comer, writing about this, he says that every time you think or do something, it becomes easier to think or do that same thing again. And the more you repeat the process, the harder it is to break the self-perpetuating cycle. We know this in both positive and negative habits. The negative habits are the things we call addictions, right? These things that we go, uh, maybe I need to escape something. Maybe I want to feel good. And so I go to a substance. I go to pornography. I go to something that has a quick hit of this makes me feel good. And then my brain logs that and goes, Ooh, that made you feel good. You should do that again. And it becomes a little easier to do it again and again and again and again. And an addiction is when that pathway has been really carved out and it becomes so hard that you can't, you just can't say no anymore, but it works the other way too. These healthy habits that we have, the consistency that we have starts to build our character, starts to change us who we are. It becomes easier to say yes to the good and healthy things in our lives. It becomes easier to pray. It becomes easier to be patient. It becomes easier to be loving. It becomes easier to have hope. We're building our character. We're being formed. We're not just trying to be different people. We're training to be different people. And this is the training God that the Spirit of God uses to change our hearts and our minds. We're becoming different people We're not just the kind of people who say, oh, I should be less cynical or less pessimistic, more optimistic, but instead we're becoming the kind of people who can live in hope. Because every day we go to the hope. Every day we live in the hope. Every day we focus on what God is doing in our lives. We resist the urges to to accept that pleasure is our hope so that when we don't, we're not living in a pleasure-filled time, our hope doesn't go away. It's stronger than that. Our hope is on Christ. Our hope is on a person. Our hope is on an event, which is the cross and the resurrection, the power over death and sin in our lives. And that's what we finally come to. In patience, we see that the pain and suffering was never wasted in our lives. That if we played our cards right, it produces endurance. And endurance, character. And character, hope and a hope that will not disappoint us, a hope that is strong, a hope that is founded on the love of God that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Because we live in that hope and we've, we've immersed ourselves in that hope so, so much. And so what is that hope? If it's not just optimism, oh, I hope tomorrow will be good. Well, what if it's not good? Does your hope fall apart? Hope is the certainty that God is with us and all will be well. Tomorrow, is everything going to be perfect? Probably not. Next year? Probably not. Are we going to be problem-free in our world? I don't think so. But it's the certainty that no matter what else is happening, what else is going on, what other struggles are, pain is real, but that God is with us. What a powerful message. This is the message of Christmas, Emmanuel, we we're singing about. And all will be well. I'll build my life on that. Jesus was sent in the world to, to show us that. Not to sweep suffering and pain. No, he lived. Man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, remember, arrested and beaten, crucified, but with this deep hope and certainty that God was with him and God is with us and all will be well. And you see how the story, he transforms the story of pain. You go, oh, the the cross is it. That's it. He loses. And yet in the resurrection, he shows all really will be well. That's the hope. That's the hope of Christians that we believe in. All will be well. How do we know? The resurrection shows us that even if pain And struggle and strife and evil and everything terrible seems like it's going to win. All will be well. Because what happened to Jesus and the resurrection will happen to us. Will happen to the whole world. It's the renewal of the whole world. So we live in that hope. And we build the kind of strong habits that build endurance and become our character. And then form our hope. Hebrews 11.1, the author says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What is hope? It's what we just talked about. That, that extremely, that certainty that God is with us. That's living in faith. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It's that certainty, the conviction. Listen, that doesn't come from just gritting your teeth. Oh, I'll just get through this. By the way, if we're going to go back to pain and suffering and endurance, in our culture, here's something I've learned. If you go through something really hard, maybe you lose a loved one, tough diagnosis, you get sick, um, something really painful, you lose a job. If you just stand out in front of everybody and grit your teeth and pretend like everything's okay, do you know how people respond? They praise you for it. You're so strong. Oh, you're doing so well. Let's be careful to let endurance do its work, to build the character, not to jump steps, because that stuff will kill you. Inside, that'll just destroy you. I'm just pushing my feelings down. I'm not really going to think about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm going to pretend like everything is okay. That is not the recipe for hope. We let endurance do its work to build our character and to fill us with hope. So here's my encouragement to you as we go through Christmas, a season of hope, a season where we celebrate again that God sent his son into this world to give us everything that we need. Stop trying to be hopeful. Start training to be hopeful. It's not wishful thinking. Spiritual formation. Really? Let God do it. Viktor Frankl, uh, he wrote a really famous book called Man's Search for Meaning. And uh, he, he writes in there about the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And uh, one of the things he writes in there, he talks about cigarettes. He says that cigarettes in a concentration camp, camp like that uh, were, um, you buy stuff with it, like it's a currency, right? You trade it. They're really valuable. Um, we see the same thing sometimes, and you watch. Shows about prison and stuff like that, right? You use cigarettes to buy things. And actually in the concentration camps, you could buy things that could be life and death, more food, an extra bowl of soup, which which could be the, the, the difference between living and dying. And he said, as he went through these concentration camps, he noticed something. He noticed that when people lost hope, they started smoking their own cigarettes. Most specifically, because most people would save at least one, he noticed that, when somebody smoked their last cigarette, they had given up hope. And when he saw that, he said, almost inevitably, within a day or two, that person died. They'd given up. Why? Because life without meaning, when life is without meaning, man turns to immediate pleasures. doesn't matter. I'm just smoking. The, yeah, I could buy soup. Yeah, this could give me another day if I trade these cigarettes. But when you give up, when you find no meaning, you're out of hope you turn to the immediate pleasures, just what's gonna make me feel good today. When we lose hope, hope we often resort to whatever brings us that short-term relief. We avoid the hard moments, it could be an addiction, it could be destructive relationship. But when we do that, when we resort to what is easier, when we smoke our own cigarettes, we steal endurance's chance to build us strength and character and hope. We steal from God that chance to make us strong people who really can live in the hope of everything that he has given to us. So don't short-circuit endurance and the character building. Don't lose out on hope. Don't smoke your own cigarettes. Don't smoke any cigarettes. It's terrible for you. Never lose hope. And don't try to be hopeful. Train to be hopeful. So Heavenly Father, uh, Today, I pray for anybody who's feeling hopeless. I pray for the one who's not only hurting and in pain, but the one who has heard in their own mind, a voice in their own mind that is telling them that that hurt and that pain, that suffering is permanent, that things will never change, that that is that pain, that suffering is becoming who they are. I pray that today you would break the chains of hopelessness. I pray that you would give us the strength to do the work of endurance, to build character. I pray that more than that, the Holy Spirit that you've poured into our lives and our hearts in love would give us the empowering strength to do those things, that we would trust in you, that we would rely on you, that we would be, be soaked in the message of your love and your grace and forgiveness. I pray that it would not just be today, but tomorrow and next week and next month and the next year. And I pray like compound interest that you would build on us a hope that is so, so strong that whatever happens in our lives and whatever struggles we face and whatever 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 pain is present, we would know that you're more present and more powerful, that we could live in a certainty to know that you are with us and that it is going to be well. Thank you for the message of Christmas, the message of Jesus coming into this world to show us that he is present. Emmanuel, God with us. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name.